The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, myself and Thunder Rosa talk more about the career and life of the Iron Sheik. And boy, do we have some great guests. How about this? WWE Hall of Famer Jake the Snake Roberts. Also, Brett Azar who plays the Iron Sheik in Young Rock, will join us on the podcast today. And historian Keith Elliott Greenberg with some stories that I didn't even know about the Iron Sheik. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Jake the Snake Roberts, sir, how are you? And thank you for the time oh, this morning. Man. I'm doing absolutely fabulous, fixing to hop in the, my monster truck and drive it to Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> and just enjoy my sunny day with my wife and uh it can't get much better it's good to see that and and it and it brings up you know one of the reasons why we brought you on this morning and that's the iron yeah. sheet because he yeah. he traveled that road uh you know drug and alcohol abuse yeah. you know losing his daughter and just hitting rock bottom and and getting and trying to find uh, life again and having that wife and that support system that kind of brought him back and it was good to at least see at the end of his life that he kind of find found some happiness again that's that's so good man i mean chic was what he was and definitely a character beyond all characters you know yeah. he was something else i know i've i've been thinking about him quite a bit since since his passing and it reminded me of a story i've got got for you with him we were driving, this is back in 1975. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and he was new to wrestling. And he was also new to the English language. <laughs> he didn't understand some things. That some things, you can say something and it'd be good, even though it sounds like it's bad. Like, I think I, I, think I call him a bad son of a bitch. And he friggin' lost it. I was driving the car and he's like, you motherfucker. I can't believe you call <laughs> Sheiky baby bad some bitch. Pull the car over. I'm going to teach you some respect. I'm going to fuck you in the ass. You know, wow. and I'm like, oh my God, you know, and I'm like, she, what's wrong? And I said, I called you a bad son of a bitch. That's a giant, and then I pull the car over. He jumped out, man. He ripped his shirt off. Come on. And I just put the car in drive and drove off. <laughs> get you know, and, get uh, the hell out of there. Yeah. So I I went down the road about a mile. And uh, he came walking up. And I looked at him. And he says, oh, Jake, my best friend. I can't <laughs> believe you leave the cheeky baby. You know? <laughs> but, you know, he didn't understand that you could say one thing and it, but with the difference in languages, you call somebody a bad son of bitch in their language, that means you're a piece of shit. Yep. Yeah. You know, but in, in our language, it means you're a bad motherfucker. You know? <laughs> Jake, that's one of my favorite stories of shit. That's amazing. Amazing story. And thank you for sharing it. And I know you have yeah. a ton. I mean, because, you know, Jake, you are such a uh, an integral part of the territories because you wrestled in them all. 
you know, yeah. Georgia, Mid-South, world-class, and then, you know, being a part of the WWF, at, I, I guess you can call the golden era of pro wrestling at that time. Without you know, talk, talk about that transition from being a part of the territories and then going into that big national push of the WWF oh at God. that time. You, you would never understand it unless you lived it because I still look back and wonder how the hell I ever did it. You know, you leave a territory. I left Mid-South to go there. And in Mid-South, I was driving everywhere seven days a week. Wow. And all of a sudden now, I'm in the WWF, and I'm flying seven days a week. Wrestling twice on Saturday. Wrestling twice on Sunday. In different cities. You know, we do L.A. at 2 o'clock, San Diego at 7 o'clock. You know, and then you do... Omaha at uh, two o'clock and then do Des Moines at seven o'clock. And then the next morning you get up and take another flight. And Steamboat and I did 91 days straight like that. Wow. Two shows, two shows a day? On Saturdays and Sundays. Oh my God. Yeah. Plus driving in between. Just, I can't even, I can't even imagine how sore you guys were after one match, get in the car going to the other place like in that sometimes not even sleeping because if you guys were partying all night like let's let's say we did not sleep <laughs> sometimes for days oh lord wow yeah, yeah but wow. we survived somehow you know and i know i'd call my wife i'm like baby i can't take this anymore my body hurts so bad i can't take it she says well you just got a check for 14 grand oh shit 14 grand god in mid-south that'd take me two months Wow. wow. And I just made that in a week. 14 grand back in the day. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it was. But it, it, do you think it was like worth the sacrifice in your body with the money that you got? Because I, I think that's the main question that a lot of people, you know, after they suffer a big injury, that that's what they start questioning yeah. was, is it worth my health? Like with the money that I made? Well, you had a choice. You could quit, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, Vince was very hard line on that. Nobody got time off, you know, and, uh, but, you know, again, you go from mid South where you're, you're hoping to stay six months and maybe save four or $5,000 to going to New York and making 200 grand in, in, in three months, wow. you know? So, you know, you kind of look at it and you say, you know what? I'm not hurting that fucking bad. <laughs> and plus you got to remember and, and, and you'll you'll little test of this, sweetheart. It doesn't matter once the bell rings. No matter how bad you feel, you feel good again. You get out in the ring and you get that adrenaline rush, and Jesus, your body doesn't hurt, your mind doesn't hurt. You feel like playing. And I know I I can't tell you how many friggin' times I've been in the locker room going, "Oh my God." I can just get through this. Oh, fuck, I'm going to go get that bed. Oh, my God. Then I'd go out and wrestle. And the adrenaline would hit me. And I'd come back from the ring. Woohoo, let's go, baby. Where are we going? Hell on. And you go out and do it again. Jake, thank you so much for the time. Thank you guys Good so luck much. this weekend. Thank and you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Thunder. This is former UFC champion Chris Weidman. Do you want to feel what it's like to get in the octagon with me? Right now, we are bringing the hardest-hitting MMA talk on the planet to your podcast feeds with Won't Back Down, a SiriusXM podcast. Every Monday, I'm speaking my mind and taking you inside combat sports like no one else. Every tap, every snap, and whatever else is on my mind. Download Won't Back Down right now on SiriusXM, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Won't Back Down. As a wrestling fan, you know it's hard. All the blood, the sweat, the tears, the chairs. It's a hard day out there. And do you know what tastes incredible after a hard day in the ring? A Mike's Hard Lemonade. You get all hot and bothered, and then you can cool off with an ice-cold hard lemonade. Since day one, Mike's Hard Lemonade has been making lemonade the hard way. They take three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, and cold-press them to create a taste like no other. They choose to do things the hard way because they know Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. That's why for 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. 
Find now in store. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium malt beverage with flavors. Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Our guest who joins us right now, Brett Azar. Brett, how are you this morning, man? Um, fantastic. You look very comfortable, Brett. I'm in my lazy boy, which you can't see. <laughs> I know. I'm just my... like, you look extremely comfortable and ready to be interviewed. That's how oh, you look. Yeah. That's the perfect um, um, the, the, the fake background is hiding the <laughs> lazy boy. I love it. And, and Brett, I do mean it. Uber talented. Obviously, a lot of people, the masses have been able to see you lately on Young Rock as the Iron Sheik. And... Uh, I know you probably have some stories about the Iron Sheik because I know you studied him to play his character on Young Rock. So what was that like? Doing the studying part. um, When I initially booked the role and miraculously got in contact with the Sheik himself, we were Skyping. And I'll never forget that initial conversation we had. Oh, my God. Um, where I was trying to explain to him what was going on. And I was like, so I'm going to be on TV playing you in a show on NBC. Yes, I do TV. How much you pay me for TV? <laughs> no, I'm the actor. I'm sure NBC will take care of you, but I need your help to be you because even though it's COVID, we're going to go to Australia and we're going to film this TV show with The Rock. I don't go Australia. I stay here in Georgia. No, no, chic. I'm going because we're going to go film this TV show. Yes, I do TV. You pay me for TV. No, chic. And so it took a little minute. Um, but eventually uh, his wife, Carol, and, and his and his daughter, Nicole, were, were with them. And they were like, okay, dad, this is what's going on. And then finally he came around. And I was like, so how do you say this? How do you say that? Let's, you know, and he was really fun to, to just. He's so he was so just just quiet and, and loving and it's opposite of of what you think of when you think of cheeky 
he was he was so introverted and like relaxed it was it was cool to get that angle of him what was the most difficult part of you embracing the the cheek and like not knowing now knowing him in a personal level for you to like portray on tv well as an as an actor the hardest thing you can do is play somebody who knows is going to see you like mm -hmm. i was i wasn't worried about performing well in front of the rock or performing well because i'm on a nationally networked television show i was more worried that the sheik is alive and he's going to see me playing him on tv and i hope i do him justice and around the third episode of the first season i got a phone call from him and his family and they were like we love you you're, you're doing it you're doing it right um but it was kind of funny because when i first talked to his daughter nicole once she saw me on TV, she was like, so is dad keeping a secret from us? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not related to you. No, <laughs> so it was, it was a funny, they're like, you really do look like him. I was like, I had no idea until it was shaved and shaved. And yeah, it was, it was really surprising how casting saw that in me when I didn't even see that in me. Did you have any experience with professional wrestling, either amateur or MMA or anything that uh, when you were casted, they were like, or you're just because of the physique that you have? It was it was all physique. Um, day one, once we got to Australia, we did our quarantine thing, and day one out of quarantine, Chavo Guerrero was waiting for us <laughs> in the ring. And when I met Chavo, I, I didn't recognize him at first. And he introduced mm -hmm. himself. I was like, you're, you're, wait, you're Chavo, Chavo. And he goes, yeah. I was like, I fucking hate you. And he was like, <laughs> thank you. And so I was like, yeah, when Jackie pinned you, I was so happy. I hated you with your stupid Pepe, whatever puppet you were carrying around. Like, I wanted to kick your ass when I was growing up, man. And he was, he was cracking up. He goes, yeah, I did my job. Thank you. You know, Brett, one thing I do I do want to mention, and I've seen some of your work, and it's absolutely fantastic because obviously with the bodybuilding and the acting and the, everything you've done with Young Rock, but your sketches, and, and I know that's a passion of yours, and and Thunder, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's 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 amazing. And yes, I have. I'm actually yeah. looking. I'm, 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 I just follow you on Instagram. You know, let's oh, have it. We've, <laughs> we've actually done a few events together, uh, signing events. Yeah, you look very familiar. It's it, where no. where was it in L.A. or like? No, it was, it was it was in Jersey or New York or Connecticut. Oh um, yes. But yeah, you were all you were painted up. I think it was a it might have been big event. Last year, November. Yeah, probably. Yes. It wouldn't be November. Yeah, it was been a big event for sure. Oh okay. my God, yes. So do, when you do your sketches, do you just do them like with pencil or you actually, because you, you can you use the computer, it's just... Just a black pen, not even pencil. Um, once once it's down, it's down. There's no mistakes allowed. Wow. You know? it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's my mental therapy on top of my physical therapy of gym time. Um, but it's cool because like people will, you know, because I played the Terminator, I get a lot of Terminator requests and a lot mm -hmm. of people will, because they're a fan, they'll want like half of their face, kind of like what you do with your makeup. Half of the face is normal and half of the face they want is the Terminator skull. So I'll do that customized for each person. I'll draw half their face and half the Terminator and it's coming from the guy who played the Terminator. So it's kind of a cool, <laughs> cool thing. And, and Brett, you've kind of embraced, you know, being in this wrestling community now, being on Young Rock, playing the Iron Sheik, like doing the meet and greet with fans. I mean, what was, how's that experience been like for you? Well, it, for me, I'm, I just, I feel honored that playing the Sheik and, and the Sheik's real fans adopted me and became fans of mine because they said that I'm doing him justice. And I'm, I show the respect that he deserves playing his character, playing the character of him on TV to be adopted into the actual wrestling community is a huge deal to me that I feel so honored um, 
and humbled as as Cheeky would love to hear. Um, you know that I get to sit down with, you know, like I got to say, I sat next to Mark at at a signing event, and I was like, "What am I doing here at a, at a wrestling event? I'm an actor." And they're like, "No, bro, you're one of us now." So to be accepted into that community is is really special, and I'm very grateful. Just, just for playing for playing Cheeky. I was gonna tell you like you're talking about playing the Terminator and playing the cheek. And then you, I'm, I'm looking at one of your art pieces where it's like half cheek, half Terminator. That's yeah. really cool that you can just like now have two different worlds that are very similar, which is the acting and, and wrestling and they're all together. And you, you get to play it as, as an actor and you get to play someone uh, um, so well-known by the whole entire world, even people that do not follow professional wrestling, which is the Iron Sheik. That's pretty awesome. Actually, two big characters. I was just like yeah. watching uh, Arnold's uh, docu-series on Netflix yesterday about when, when he became a Terminator and then you being a bodybuilder and being a Terminator. That's actually pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, very humbling to be able to, to play such iconic people characters in my career just it, it's on it's cloud nine moments over and over again well brett i know i interviewed you just before the premiere of of young rock i had you and the rest of the cast uh and we did you know that was like right during the lockdown we did it on zoom and to see how this show this show has grown and how it's become one of the best sitcoms on TV, you know, having it on NBC. And hopefully we get another season. I know everything's kind of in doubt, in doubt right now because of the writer's strike. But hopefully we get another season because I really think this show has hit its stride. And it's my favorite show on TV. So I hope there's a bright future ahead. That's that's awesome to hear. I'm, I'm, thank you. Um, I appreciate hearing that from you guys. Um, because I respect what you say. So when you say it's a good show, it's kind of awesome to hear. Um, and as far as season four goes, yeah, like we we have no idea what's going on, but the show stopped at season three where The Rock just became The Rock. Yeah. And just mm. started just started his movies. Like there's so much more to tell. So, you know, DJ's not going to let it just die there. No, oh, no, we there, know that. There's so much more to go. And then I'm sure he's got plenty of other stories of when he was 10 years old because that's the cheeky timeline. But Brett, yeah. I'm sorry, David. Brett, going back to the cheeky, like what is one thing you will take as an actor from uh, playing this character and, you know, and transferring to a, a more personal level from, from Sheik's life? And we just I, have I've about ne- 30 seconds, Brett. Okay, I've, never had, I've, had, I've never had more fun playing a character because with Sheik, he was so eccentric. As an actor, you can't fuck it up. You can't overact. If you if you mess up your words, Cheeky was saying everything backwards anyway. It was the, <laughs> it, it was the best character to play. So for me, that was that was the greatest part because I could go in there, mumble a bunch of shit, and it it was on cue. Hi everybody, Christopher Mad Dog Russo here. Familiar? You should be. Well, now you can catch Mad Dog's Daily Bite each day as a podcast, where you'll hear my thoughts and opinions on the biggest topics around the world of sports, NFL, baseball, golf, NBA, even the hockey. That you know you can count on. That's Mad Dog's Daily Bite. Drops daily anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also hear me weekdays 3 to 6 Eastern on Mad Dog Unleashed, Sirius XM Channel 82, or anytime on the SXM app. I want to thank everybody that's kind of reached out to us and has been a part of these last 24 hours uh, giving respect and tribute and celebrating the life and career of the Iron Sheik and somebody that we had to get on, somebody I know that knew this man inside and out, and that is historian, author, and columnist, the great Keith Elliott Greenberg joins us right now here on Busted Open. Keith, how are you, man? Uh, thank you. And thanks for waiting a few days because after superstar Billy Graham's funeral last week, you know, I was really not prepared for the Iron Sheik passing, but I've kind of processed it by now. And Keith, and Keith oh, go ahead. Sorry, Sandra, I was just going to ask you that being, I just feel like every time we have a, a very unfortunate situation coming up, that's the time that I see you. 
Yeah, How yeah. difficult for you as a historian and also because you have a lot of deep relationships with all of these uh, wonderful people, how do you how do you process your grief? It's, it's a hard thing. I mean, since the beginning of the year, you know, Lanny Poffo, who was my good friend, died. And then three people I co-authored books with him died. Wow. The Iron Sheik, superstar Billy Graham, and Tom Stephen from the Jeff Healy Band. So um, I haven't learned how to process this yet. You know, I've never had, you know, such a flurry of deaths back to back. It reminds me a bit of what was happening um, in the era when wrestlers were dying very quickly. Like there's that story where, you know, Rick Rude was on TV for the Pillman tribute and then a week later he was gone. Um, you know, I don't think it's something you really adjust to. I was just glad I had a couple of days so I wasn't rambling or, you know, acting bitter about the circumstances. No, and, and, and Keith, it's always difficult. Listen, you know, whenever you, you lose somebody that um, you have a personal relationship or even just as fans, somebody that we've watched all our lives. Yeah. I mean, the Iron Sheik, I've been watching pro wrestling for over 40 years. The Iron Sheik was always there. And then when you lose somebody, it hits you hard. Um, the one thing that I have to say is 81 years old. It's never easy. Actually, to lose he was somebody. 80. I, okay. I, had to, I had to correct the reporter from the, the, the obituary writer from the Washington Post, got on the phone with myself and the Megan twins, who you know very well, the Iron Sheiks. He called them nephews. They were dear family friends who acted mm -hmm. as his managers. Um, and um, the Iron Sheik specified to me that his official birthday that's on his passport is incorrect. He, his family followed the Persian calendar. And so he had not turned 81 yet. He was still 80. Wow. I mean, the, you know, Keith, I did not, I wasn't aware. Of that. How would so, you? Unless I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Keith, it's, you know, and it, and the 14, and I, and I keep saying this, but, you know, the 14 years that this show has been on the air, we've had so many, you know, tribute shows for wrestlers that have passed. Unfortunately, a lot of those wrestlers have been younger and, you know, yeah. and you, you know, I get the lifestyle of the wrestler, especially in the seventies and eighties is far different than w what it is like right now. And with the road that the iron Sheik was on, I'm sure yeah. there were times many times over the last 30 years that you thought, Oh my gosh, is this man going to make it because of well, everything no, that he had to really. go through? I actually thought he was such a, Look, I because I wrote a book with him that is, was never published, but that's a story for another day. Um, I I knew what a strong person he was, and I knew what a strong, supportive family he had, and I actually believed that he would make it. I never thought that I was going to like wake up and get that phone call about him. Um, and, you know, I, I actually scribbled a few things down this morning about what a physical marvel he truly was. Um, I, if, I, and I also resolved, I told Paul, your producer, I don't want to talk about crazy drug stories and things of that nature. You know, people can go to the um, A&E documentary, and I talk about that plenty over there. But, you know, what he started out as people know, he was in the Pan American Games. He was a two-time uh, U.S. Greco-Roman team coach. And so he was unlike even his, his peers who were great athletes. And he told me a story about uh, bringing Luthez and Danny Hodge, two of the greatest, rest, you know, shooters, who and and in, in terms of being in physical shape, two of the best ever, to a high school football field when he was in the Georgia territory, and he said we're going to work out the old school Persian way, and he started putting them through the types of calisthenics he did back in the old country, and he was um, he blew both of them up, which he expected because you know they weren't used to doing those types of calisthenics. And Luthez, who did not suffer people who should not have been in the business well, was so impressed 
that he gave the Iron Sheik, who was very young at the time, money for a car. So, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. Stu Hart asked him to uh, coach his children. Now, he had many people coaching his children. But, you know, Brett and Owen, there were periods. I think Owen was very little then. It might have just been Brett and some of his brothers. But, you know, Stu Hart knew the Iron Sheik's amateur background. And he wanted this to be one of the people who made the ex who contributed to Bret Hart becoming the excellence of execution. Um, you know, when he was training with Vern Gagne, Vern Gagne, you know, uh, saw the sheep being a little bit defiant with Billy Robinson, who was one of the coaches. And um, at one point, he brought the sheik into a room into a ring alone and you know they, they didn't smarten people up to the business back then and he drop kicked the sheik and across the chest and the sheik just you know he was a tough man that's why i didn't expect him to die he just came back and was ready to wrestle him and that's when Vern had to finally break down and you know tell him the big secret and it and the way he invited him in was he said um Kazrao, be be one of us. And, um, you know, there, there's a, it almost makes me sad to think that those days are over, that it was such yeah. an exclusive society that you would have to have one of the greats. Like now, maybe you'd have a Shawn Michaels who would test you and say, okay, you've passed the test, be one of us. And the, the other person I want to mention is, uh, is Carl Gotch, who was known as the guard of wrestling. And um, the Iron Sheik told me he would work out with no weights, you know, just neck bridges, Hindu squats, very intensive exercise. And um, after shooting with Carl Gotch one time, Carl Gotch was so impressed that he brought the Iron Sheik to his home to dinner and then booked him on his first tour of Japan. And even um, uh, Dean Malenko, uh, this when I spoke to him when I was working on the Iron Sheik book, told me that when the Iron Sheik would work out with Professor Boris Malenko, he showed them the Iranian exercise clubs, which were part of his gimmick. And both Dean and Joe Malenko then um, took bowling pins and uh, and you know filled them up with lead, and they started doing those exercises themselves. So there's influence there, you know, of, you know, what he brought to wrestling. And that's why I was always confident between that and the, and the quality of his family that he was going to make it through. And, you know, you just, you said a lot there, uh, Keith. And one of the things that you mentioned was about the mystique of pro wrestling and that, like that private club of pro wrestling that, listen, uh, it, busted open wouldn't have been able to exist, you yeah. know, 40, 50 years ago. So, you know, I almost feel like I'm being hypocritical when I say Me this, too. Me you too. know, because, because, but I do, I do miss that. I, I, I do feel that like this. And I still feel this way, Keith, that there's, there's a line that I just should not cross because, you know, pro wrestling is still an elite club and it's in its own bubble and I'm on the outside and they're on the inside. Yeah, and I too. feel, yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote journalists and fans that feel like they need to be on the inside. I, I kind of like being on the outside as much. I know. And it, it's interesting. Thunder Rosa said this earlier because I was listening to the show earlier. Thank you, Keith, for listening. And, and she said, um, you know, we're not, it's not a dirt sheet show. And when she says dirt sheet, she's not talking about perhaps Dave Meltzer so much as she's talk as she's talking about these people who are just putting clickbait out there. Yeah. And look, there's a role that that plays in pro wrestling now. There's a reason why these people get invited to all the press junkets. But, you know, I think it's important to tell authentic wrestling stories. And in my case, as a writer, craft those stories, write those stories well, take pride in the actual art of the writing so that history is conveyed properly and with the respect it deserves. And, Keith, and, oh, go ahead, Thunder, please. Uh, 
one of the important things that you mentioned and you, you know, as you were speaking is telling the story of the Sheik now that he's passed away, because I feel like, because people focus so much on the negatives, right? And because it's so sensationalist. Thank you. My Spanish sometimes comes comes in. It is difficult for people to understand the real, like the real, what the real person is, right? And what you're mentioning, and and I think struck the most more than, you know, the training in, in, in his past is, the fact that he had a very strong family and I was reading that he stayed with his wife for 47 years mm -hmm. and knowing this business has destroyed families and had destroyed marriages. And, and this business almost did destroy his family, but yes. they loved each other. And I was with him during this period when his wife had drawn the line and said, you know, I can't be with you if you're going to still behave like this. And his daughter his daughters particularly his old his daughter tanya was very tough with him and um he was very sad to be without his wife and he was really missing her and i think he understood you know that was a loss he could not endure and you know by this point he had lost one of his daughters and so that love then you know transformed his life and he came back to be with his wife. And that's the person he truly was. And that was the person he was meant to be. And, and Keith, that story about even with Luthez, I, I never knew that story. Like to me, well, those, yeah, are again, those, are, those are stories he told me if the book had come out, <laughs> then everyone would know that story. Uh, and I guess it's, I guess it's, it's just difficult to really kind of put the iron chic you know, in a box uh, about because he's so complex and he has so many different levels to his personality and he accomplished so much in his life. Uh, it, it's really hard. I mean, I, I, as you as an author, it must have been really difficult to put that into written form. Well, um, interestingly, he was one of the easiest guys I co-authored a book with. Um, you know, he had time because he wasn't, he wasn't, um, you know, wrestling anymore. And he trusted me. And so uh, he was separated from his wife when we worked on the book the first time. There were two versions of the book that were written. Uh, there was one book that was written, well, I, I, I wrote it in 2009. I remember we were watching in 2008, he and I were watching the, the Democratic Convention on TV. So that's when we were working on the book. Um, and then, um, you know, he still had issues to resolve when that book was completed. And so uh, it was decided by WWE that it wasn't necessarily good for the brand to put that book out. And mm. I, I think they were concerned about, uh, you know, having him go on a book tour and um, not being as responsible as he should have been. And then he resolved his drug issues. And so I wrote, rewrote the book. And that book, I was, um, Steve Pantaleo, who works at WWE, with whom I've co-written two versions of the WWE Encyclopedia, he and I were like in, you know, the WWE's offices, like looking through photos of the Iron Sheik, selecting photos for the book. And then I was told, The directive had come from up top that there were just too many outrageous tales in that book. And, you know, it would be impossible to sanitize. And how does it really be like the depiction of pro wrestling uh, through the Iron Sheik's life may have, you know, in some ways it was accurate. I mean, it was a very reckless uh, lifestyle during a period of time. And he. Yeah embodied that more than anybody because he had been so uh straight-laced when he was back in Iran he you know he wasn't with women he never drank beer and then he goes into this world where you know Jimmy Superfly Snooker offers him a joint the first time and he's like this is what I'm missing I mean you can understand that it's like some kid who grows up homeschooled in a religious family And then they go to a secular college. They're going to go out of their minds. 
And, um, you know, so, so then the book was killed a second time. And, um, you know, people say you're bitter. I mean, I'm disappointed. I'm a little bit heartbroken that the Iron Sheik didn't get, you know, the satisfaction of having that book in print. But, um, you know, I was paid twice and so was he. Is there a possibility, just a future possibility, maybe in like 10, 20 years, that some like, un, uh, what do they call it? That you will write something about it or you are I not mean, allowed I've to? I've spoken about it on, on, you know, on in the two documentaries I'm in. I've written about it in Playboy magazine when I did a profile of him. Um, but I don't own the rights to the book. Okay. And I'm hoping, and I've said this before, that even if it's not now, when you say 10 or 20 years, maybe one of Triple H's uh, daughters, when she's in charge of WWE, will decide it's time now. It's time for that to come out. You never know. Um, and and just so you know, Keith, I always uh, read Playboy for your articles. I don't look yeah. at the pictures. I just read the articles. Um, <laughs> Keith, um, Something that we talked a lot about the last 24 hours is January 23rd, 1984, when Hogan beat the Iron Sheik. Uh, that moment, it, it, I put it up against Super Bowls, World Series games, like the, the just the, the natural reaction of that crowd uh, when Hogan beat the Iron Sheik. Um, I don't think you could ever relive that moment again where you have 20,000 fans all rooting for one person. And that was Hogan and all 20 fans hating one man being the iron cheek. It's one of the most natural reactions I've ever right. seen. And do you agree that that's a moment in time that you probably could never duplicate? You, you couldn't duplicate it. And I was there for both the night Bob Backlund lost. And then I was there for the night that Hulk Hogan won. And at the time I was, 24, I was writing a, a, a periodic wrestling column for the Staten Island Advance. I wasn't with WWE yet. And yet, you see, it was an era when a lot of fans still believed and that the garden was not yet peopled with the beautiful folks. It was peopled with people who needed the release that pro wrestling gave them. So most of them believed that the Iron Sheik represented uh, the Ayatollah and the Ayatollah had taken Americans hostage and humiliated us and, you know, probably uh, had a big influence on Jimmy Carter losing the 1980 election. And so Hulk Hogan was waving the flag and people bought into that. It was also, you know, the middle of the Ronald Reagan era. Yeah. And, you know, people weren't smart to the business yet, by and large. Even people who would roll their eyes weren't entirely sure. And so that emotion, it was like the emotion I felt when I used to see Bruno wrestle. It was, there was something authentic mixed in there. And it was people truly wanted to invest in Hulk Hogan and what he represented. And it was like a victory for America. Now it sounds so quaint and hokey, but that was what it felt like. It almost felt like that was the end of one era of pro wrestling and the beginning of another era because you just said something and, and it kind of hit me when you were saying it, the crowd. Like that crowd was still the blue collar yes. type crowd. Uh, it, was, it was probably more adult adult than kids in the crowd at that time. And really Hogan brought in a whole, the cartoonish era of pro wrestling. Right. And let's not demean friendly. it. Like, let's not demean it. Hulk Hogan brought an awful lot of people. A hundred percent. Yes. But yes, but, but you know, there's a symbolic moment that's always struck me. When I watch the footage of the Iron Sheik against Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon Sr. opens up the curtain for Hulk Hogan before he comes out. And, you know, within less than a year, Vince McMahon Sr. was dead. And it was almost like 
the ghost of the past opening the curtain. Wow. And once that person closes, that era evaporates. Wow. That's strong. And it's, it, you know what? And I think that's the best way to describe it, Keith. And, and I think the pro wrestling world saw it coming, Keith. And one of the things that were talked about, and I don't know if you were able to hear the show yesterday, but, you know, we had uh, Jerry Briscoe on, and we had Sergeant Slaughter on, and we had Greg Gagne on. And one of the things they were talking about is the supposed bounty that Vern, you know, offered to Iron Sheik $100,000 if you took out Hogan so Hogan couldn't win that championship. Iron Sheik could retain and bring that championship back to the AWA. Uh, You know, Jerry Briscoe swore on it. Sergeant Slaughter swore on it. Greg Gagne didn't believe it. He didn't say that it wasn't true. He just couldn't picture his father doing something like that. Do you think there's any truth to that bounty at all? I mean, I think it is true. Yeah. I, you know, I've spoken about it so much with the Iron Sheik. I don't think he would weave an elaborate lie like that. And he, as you know, because Greg Gagne discussed it, the Iron Sheik loved the Gagne family. And, um, you know, he, Mary Gagne was the one who gave him the name, the Iron Sheik. And that was when they were both at the Montreal Olympics in 1976. And he he wasn't satisfied just being you know, Ali Vaziri or Kashrao Vaziri. And, um, you know, she was the one who came up with the concept of the Iron Sheik. And he said, you know, there's already a Sheik in Detroit. And she said, he doesn't pay your bills. He goes, but there's no Sheiks in Iran. There's, you know, Sheiks in Lebanon. There's Sheiks in the Gulf states. There's Sheiks in Saudi. Like the fans won't know. And if I, I look this up, The first time he wrestles as the Iron Sheik, after being Ali Vaziri, Kashrao Vaziri, Muhammad Farouk, is in 76. He then, in September 76, so the Olympics are in the summer of 76, and by September, he is the the Iron Sheik. Now, he'd have other personas on and off for the next few years. So that's a big influence on his life. And Vern Gagne coached him to be a pro wrestler. So when he told me how much Vern meant to him, that it caused him to take that offer seriously, he was not lying. And I discussed that with Sergeant Slaughter because the Iron Sheik told me that he went to Sergeant Slaughter to ask, what should I do? Because when the Iron Sheik was starting out in Minnesota and wrestling, Sergeant Slaughter's father owned a roofing company and the Iron Sheik worked for him. So he was, you know, him and Sergeant Slaughter were very dear friends, as you know, and great opponents in the ring. And Slaughter said that would be a really dumb thing to do because you're talking about Vince versus Vern Gagne. That era is over. This era is the future and invest with the McMahons. And the Iron Sheik also had a great deal of affection for the McMahons as they had for him. And, um, you know, and so would he have broken Hulk Hogan's leg? Very possible. I mean, you look at pro wrestling history. It was in 1925, Stanislav Zabisco. Um, I think it was Gus, it was it Gus Sonnenberg? Uh, no, it was Wayne Munn. He, you know, went into business for himself and took the title. I mean, this was not without precedent in pro wrestling. Again, the mystique, the stories, the myths. And after hearing the stories from you, Keith, and then again from Sergeant Slaughter, like um, imagine if he did. Imagine if he did break Hogan's leg. Could Vince take the WWF National at that time? Because their golden child, Hulk Hogan, would be out with an injury. Who could, who right, could they he use? Won. I mean, he would, have pinned the, he would have pinned Hogan in the ring or left him in the ring. I mean, it's almost like a fantasy. Like, what if? It's like when people say, what if the South had won the Civil War? And then you think about, well, then the South might have been 
allies with Germany in World War One. And if they were allies with Germany in World War One, maybe Germany would have won World War One, and then there wouldn't have been a Hitler. So you don't know. It's, you know, and then it, with no Hogan, do we have the first WrestleMania? Probably not. You know, would they, you know, would we be able to well, have well, that well, national? Would Vince McMahon be so determined that he'd find a way to bury Hulk Hogan on TV and come in with like Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair the next it's, week? I, I, it's, imagine it's, that. It's Imagine that. That sounds like the title of a show, Thunder. Imagine <laughs> that. Uh, there can be so many, there can, there can be right. so many shows or so many episodes of things that could have happened. Yeah. Right. You know, just like based maybe, on, on this. Yeah. Right. Think about it. You know, Ric Flair was pretty charismatic back then. Maybe he would have been the Hulk Hogan. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.